<laughs> For four minutes straight, who is calling me completely over and over and over again? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, great song, but it does have a tendency to get uh, to get stuck in your head, or at least mine. I don't know about you, but it has a tendency to do that. Here's a fun trick, by the way. If you're some people who are really sensitive to that type of thing, so you could always, you know, subliminally mess somebody up by just kind of walking through a room and kind of whistle that song as you just go through and just walk out and see what happens, right? So uh, if you're like me, you'll immediately start like, Where? oh, why am I singing that song in my head? And it just won't leave. So... Uh, yeah, so it's a great song. That is not Bob Marley, by the way. So if anybody thinks that's Bob Marley, because that's a pretty common misconception, it's not. Now, I can't tell you what the guy's name is because I forgot. But <laughs> it's not Bob Marley, just so you know. It's a little fun, uh, fun trivia fact for you. Um, there you go. All right, I'll take your word for it. So, uh, yeah, so a good song. As we're talking about joy this morning, as we sing Don't Worry, Be Happy, I remember listening to that song. Uh, we, we had a, I grew up in Georgia, uh, so some of you, probably most of you know. And uh, it's hot in Georgia. If you didn't know that, I can tell you for a fact it's hot. And uh, so we would go to the uh, pool. My father or stepfather worked for a nuclear power plant that had a pool that you could go to if you were a plant employee. And so we would religiously make a trip every day. My mom would take us to the pool because, again, it was brutally hot and we couldn't do anything outside without melting into a puddle. And so we would go to, to this pool, and every, every time my stepfather loved old classic you know, 60s, 70s songs, and so uh, we'd have some things on, on cassette, and, uh, and we'd listen, they listened to those, and we were subject to torture as we had to sit in the car with no air conditioning, with the windows rolled down, driving down a dirt road to get to the uh, plant pool every day, and I remember that song being ingrained in my memory, uh, childhood memory, one, amongst many other uh, classic uh, hits, so you get to relive some of my childhood today as we listen to Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, and again, we're talking about joy because we're in the season of Advent, which means what? Anybody remember? We've been doing it for three weeks now. Anybody remember what Advent means? No. Coming. Who said that? You got that right. Somebody's smart. All right, good. Coming. For Christ followers, it's a time of joyful expectation, right? It's a time where we look back and remember and celebrate the coming of Jesus that very first Christmas, and we look forward to his second coming where he's going to put all wrongs to write. And we celebrate it all month long. It's not just right now. It's not just on Sundays. You celebrate it all month long. If you have a nice Advent calendar, you can open up and get some chocolate or whatever they have in those Advent calendars these days uh, and, and enjoy that. But we do that every night until Christmas comes. And each week is a different theme. So this week, obviously, is joy. So what, uh, or rather, where do you find joy? So let's, let's, let's throw that out there real quick. Think about that for a minute. What's one activity, one place, one something where you find joy in your life? Family, family okay. All the family? Who said family? All the family. Well, good for you. <laughs> right. Coffee in the morning, yes. Yes, I'm with you on that one. A good cup of coffee, all right. Simple pleasures, right? Music, all right. Some joy in music, absolutely. Anybody else? Where do you find joy? Photography? Walking. Walking. Yep, I appreciate that. Me too. All right. Tennessee football. Tennessee football. Well, all right, I guess. <laughs> football in general, right? That's, that's pretty good. We'll, we'll just we'll broaden that out a little bit there. Well, all right, anyone else? Some good stuff. Find joy. It's amazing where we find joy, isn't it? I mean, it's incredible how on the, the smallest things like coffee or the simplest of things we have nothing to do with, like football, other than just consuming it. You know, it, it's something about that stuff just kind of sparks this thing inside of us. And it's like, wow, that's, that's such a good feeling. 
And I wanted to draw some of that out this morning because as, as much as we all like to think happy thoughts when it comes to Christmas, and a lot of us do have those thoughts, and that's wonderful, there are a great many of us that suffer through the holiday season. It's not an easy time as much as we like to think it is. Uh, seasonal depression is, and especially in our state, in our area, uh, in New England, uh, is a very real struggle, right? And as soon as the sun starts going down at like 4.30, Lord help us, it becomes a very real struggle, right? When you, when you go to work in the dark and come back in the dark, it becomes a, a big deal. And so a lot of people struggle with seasonal depression, and, and, and these holiday season doesn't help. <laughs> it usually makes things a lot worse, really. According to a recent survey, the, the National Alliance on Mental Illness reported that approximately 24% of people with an already diagnosed mental illness find the holidays make their condition a lot worse, and 40% said somewhat worse. There's one lady in Massachusetts that was polled that said the holiday season beams a, a spotlight on everything that is difficult about living with depression. So the pressure to be joyful and social is just tenfold. And whenever you're in that mood or that, in that depressive, depressive state, having to be joyful will wear on you more than anything, right? You think, I don't want to be joyful. I'm not joyful. I don't have that right now. But whenever you see everybody around you being joyful, wherever you sing songs, wherever you say people, oh, come on, you see happy, smiling faces, that thing's, why, why am I not that way? Why am I not feeling those things? Where am I, why do I not have that joy that they do? For many this time of year, finding joy is, is elusive, if not impossible. Now, whether you're battling depression or not, this, this time of year can be hard. And there are lots of, of practical steps out there. I looked up quite a few this week. I was thinking, well, what, what are some things that we can do to kind of help walk through or out of this depressive state? And, and a few of the more popular ones are make time for yourself. Avoid family conflict. I don't know how you do that one, but avoid family conflict. I guess you avoid family. I mean, that's probably the only way you can do that, right? That's a hard one this time of year, but avoid family conflict. Focus on good things. Get some good sleep and exercise more. All right, there's some practical, easy things we could probably all need to do, whether we're depressed or not. And, and, and they sound pretty good, and I'm sure at some level they're helpful, but what do they all require? They require you doing something, right? They require you doing something. And if you're in a depressive state, if you're, if you're dealing with depression, no matter how mild or severe, or you're just having a, in a bad mood or your anxiety, or you have some fear going on, you don't want to do anything, right? Part of that is feeling like you're almost trapped in this cycle where you can't break free. And if you say, if somebody says, oh, if you just get more sleep, you're like, well, if that is easy, I would have slept already, right? Or if you just think good thoughts, well, I would have thought good thoughts already. Those things would have happened, and I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. If you can just change one thing, they tell you, if you could just see progress in this, this one situation in your life, then you'll find that joy. That's the bill of goods that's sold. But let's get it straight. If you base your joy on your attitude and your ability, you will find yourself perpetually disappointed. Perpetually disappointed. True joy will elude you. And any joy that you can possibly get a little bit of will slip away. Now, I'm not here to depress you any further, <laughs> right? So let me clarify that. I don't make it sound like it's doom and gloom. I believe we need to be honest with each other, though. I believe we need to make sure that we're calling, we call each other to an openness and accountability and understand that while those things are good, helpful things, that they're not the end-all, be-all. And I say that because I believe and I know that our, as a church, our desire is to see gospel transformation, good news transformation happen here in the lives of those in this community. 
all right? Not just this metaphysical thing where I won't, I won't change to happen all over the world. No, I want to see people's individual lives, you here, each and every one of us here, and the ones who haven't even been here yet, see their lives radically changed by the good news of Jesus. Radically changed, all right? So finding true joy is a part of that transformation. And it's made possible because the barriers to joy aren't psychological as much as uh, therapists make their money day after day. And I'm not trying to, to, to deny anybody's job or make a living. That's great and wonderful, and counseling has its benefits. But psychologi- uh, psychologists make their living on sa- telling you they've got the, the solution is just more therapy or more medication or more of this or more of that. But the problem is it's not up here. It's here. And the way to experiencing joy isn't by doing your best to change your circumstances, but to have an encounter with the God who changes everything. There's no better place to see how that works than in the Christmas narrative. So let's, to help us discover or rediscover our joy this morning, we're going to go look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 16 this morning. Now, most of us are familiar, I'm sure, with this portion of the, of the Christmas narrative. We, we read part of it, or if not all of it, at the Lopez's on Friday night. We'll go through all of it again uh, next Sunday night at the Christmas uh, production. Uh, but we're going to go through a little bit of it today. And if you remember that this point in the, in the Christmas story, there are shepherds, right? There are shepherds out in the field watching over their flocks by night. And we see the movies and we sing the songs and we do all those things. And the shepherds are watching the sheep. And then all of a sudden, angels, boom, explode in the sky, right? Right, the angels explode in the sky, and things get a little bit crazy. So let's read verses 8 through 10 to kind of see how this pans out. And it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Fear not. Now, this narrative is powerful in many, many ways, but the first way I think is powerful is that who is being visited? Who is being visited? The shepherds, right? The shepherds are the ones that are being visited. The, the, the angels didn't appear to the king. They didn't, they didn't appear to someone else who was in high position. They didn't uh, do any of that. They went to lowly shepherds out in the field by night. Now, who are the shepherds? They're the working class, right? They're the blue-collar guys. They were the practical, hands-on people doing a job that not many people were flocking to do. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. I am a dad. Every once in a while, I have to throw one of those in there, I think. I think that's part of my deal. It's genetically ingrained. <laughs> Should have saved that for Jack. You're right. All right. So they, they were doing stuff that not many people want to do. They're out there pulling it all nighter, right? They were working hard. These are some hard-working blue-collar guys. This wasn't some white-collar manager, no offense, Leo, sitting up in an office and not doing anything. These are people who are down there in the nitty-gritty working, in the, working with the sheep. This wasn't good work. They had to be vigilant because there's wild animals and stuff that's going to eat these sheep, so they had to be out there keeping an eye on them. To me, that sounds like a lot of people in our village, in our little communities around where we live. Most of the people I've ran into are, are hard-working people. There are people who are just trying to make a living. There are people who want to provide for their family. There are people who just want to keep their head down. They want to stay out of trouble. They want to hunt. They want to fish. They want to enjoy the simple things in life. And they want to just move on, live their own lives their own way, right? A lot like 
those shepherds that night. Like many in our communities, those, these guys out here, the shepherds at night, weren't, weren't looking out for God. They were like, man, I'm hoping God is going to show up tonight while I'm keeping these sheep. That really be good. That keep me awake, right? They were just out there working. They weren't out there seeking a spiritual experience, right? They were just doing their job. They probably didn't think too much about God unless it impacted them on a real practical level. Yet despite their status in the community as lowly shepherds, despite their spiritual background and disposition, God became real when he showed up that night. He became real, real quick. We get an idea of that encounter by the way they described it, right? It said the glory of the Lord shone around them, shone around them. Now God's glory is a bit hard to define, but, but boiled down, glory means the beauty and the, and the greatness of God's presence, beauty and greatness of God's presence. For the shepherds that night, it may have been like a light shone through or a, a piece of refracted glass, right? Impossible to see the source, but seeing all the millions of points that come out of it. Since it's shone around them, so it almost like enveloped them, all these millions of points of light just piercing through the dark of night and surrounding them in this supernatural, otherworldly light. It had been an incredible experience. We read of other very similar experiences in other parts of the Bible when God visits his people, such as in the, the Exodus narrative, right? Where we see a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. That God's active presence moving with his people. Again, we see on the mountain, Moses ascends to where God was, and after being in his presence, he comes down, and his face shone so bright that he had to cover it. People are like, man, Moses, what in the world were you doing up there? Cover that thing up. We don't want to see that. It was so bright, so otherworldly, so, so weird in a sense. They couldn't comprehend it. They didn't want to, to, to be close. It's that encounter, it's God's very presence that changes circumstances. The shepherds were having a normal night, regular night. They probably did it a million times until God showed up and changed everything. Now, if the way to joy is to have an encounter with God, then it is. Does that mean that, that we have to have an experience as dramatic as this? Does that mean I'm going to start praying, Lord, show up here and just, boom, have a bright light and blind everybody in here and just and, and speak loud, do all this crazy stuff and let it be a big drama? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as this. In John 1.14, John writes this. I don't think I have this slide up. But in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was and is God and displayed his glory through every act in his life, through his teaching, through his, the miracles he performed, through his death and resurrection. Everything that Jesus did was and is displayed the very glory of God, was God's presence with his people. Now, he didn't walk around glowing, right? That would be really weird. He didn't walk around glowing. But those who knew him understood that they were encountering God. We read a story of two men after Jesus' resurrection. They were walking with him down a dusty road. They didn't recognize him at first. They were just having a simple walk. They were having a simple conversation. And after he left them, they said that while he talked, their hearts burned within them. Burned within them. They didn't have an encounter like the shepherds, but they met God on that road. And their hearts burned within them. Just as he spoke to them, 
just as he revealed himself to the shepherds that night, just as he revealed his glory in many different ways through the miracles and resurrection and, and all those things in Christ, he speaks and reveals his glory to us today. It doesn't have to be as dramatic and it most likely won't be as the, what happened to the shepherds, but it's a recognition that God is real. I think we had to come to grips with that. We read these stories and it's a story. We sing these songs and it's a song. But what I have to understand is when we read these things and we see these things, that it's a, a real account of a real event. This is saying to us that God exists. Now, what are you going to do with it? It's not some, some metaphysical, some, some hard con, uh, to, to understand concept that's just way out here. It's something that's right here with us. God's real. Jesus is real, all right? Not some, just some figment. Not some literary hero. Not some past figure. Real here and now. Now, what do you do with it? Encountering God means recognizing that he is real. Recognizing that even right now, you're saying, hey, pastor, can God speak to you? My kids ask me this all the time. Yes. <laughs> yes, he can. Are you willing to listen? Can you turn off all the other things in your life so that you can hear them? People have had dramatic encounters. There are Muslims in foreign countries that have never heard the gospel preached, that have had visions of Jesus in their dreams and have been converted because of that. Those are dramatic encounters with God. You're getting, it might not be as nearly as dramatic because I'm, I'm, I try not to be too dramatic personally. It might not be nearly as dramatic, but you're getting an encounter with God right here, right now. Anytime you open the word, God is speaking. Recognizing that he is real. Recognizing that he is speaking to you this morning. Recognizing that he is not just speaking, but he is drawing you in to that encounter with him. And that will change everything. And when you get that, you begin to get that joy that flows like water from a spring. Now, if you're smart, and I know each and every one of you are, because I know most of you personally, so I know you're all uh, so intelligent, and uh, I know you're reading this verse, and I know you're looking up there and you're saying, wait a minute, Pastor. It says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, not joy, right? So if I'm having an encounter with God, how am I getting joy and not fear? Well, that's why you're smart, and that's why I appreciate you being here, because you would have called me out on that if I didn't call you out on it first. So they were filled with great fear, right? I mentioned earlier, and I appreciate uh, the desire to strive to live with honesty and authenticity. So I want to be clear that the God of the Bible isn't some lovey-dovey, sappy, sentimental, kissy-huggy God. Okay, <laughs> I want to be clear about that because there's some songs that we sing, there's some things that we do, there's some words that we use that makes it seem like God is just one big grandfather God up there waiting to give us big hugs and give us money every time we come around. No, right? God isn't the sappy, sentimental, safe God. Thank God that he's not. Men, I hope you appreciate the fact that God is not a safe, sappy, sentimental, lovey-dovey God, right? I want a God, not who's going to give me a hug, but who's going to fight through the battles in my life ahead of me, right? 
I want a God that's going to lead me into battle through the things that are going on in my life and my children's situations and my wife's situations and my coworkers' situations. I know that I have a God that goes before me fighting through that. That's the God I want to serve, the God who's strong, who's powerful, who's with justice and righteousness and moving forward in those things, who's plowing through ahead. That's not a lovey-dovey, sentimental, safe God. That's a fighting champion who comes and encounters us and says, I'm fighting my way through to you and then past you. Ahead, I'm going to turn you and I'm going to turn you around and I'm going to lead you back to where we should be together. It's not a safe God. Men, uh, women, I hope you appreciate that he's not a safe, sentimental, sappy, lovey-dovey God. Because if you have a man in your, real, in your personal relationship, if you have a man in your life that's just sub, sappy, sentimental, lovey-dovey, might not be enough. I hope and pray that you have or find a man that's willing to die for you, that's willing to lay it all down for you, that's willing to walk through the fire for you, that's willing to do anything it takes for you, because that's the man that reflects the character of God, because that's the God we serve. I love the movie. This time of year, it's especially poignant. The, the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors uh, because I'm a pastor, and I think I have to appreciate him and love him. I think it's kind of in, in green. But C.S. Lewis is great. And the movie is great. The book's better, uh, but the movie did a great job. Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Everybody familiar with that movie? They show it a lot this time of year because it's kind of a Christmas movie, kind of, right? And in that movie, there's a character called Aslan the Lion, right? Now, in the book, and when you're reading through it and you're watching the movie, the children arrive in Narnia, but they haven't yet met Aslan, right? And when they hear he's a lion, one of them says, oh, oh, he's a, he's, he's a lion. It, is he safe? Is he a safe line? And one of them, when they ask that, their, their guide, who's, who happens to be a, a plucky beaver with a British accent, if you haven't seen it, you just got to go watch it for yourself. He says, he says, of course he isn't safe. He isn't safe. But he's good. And he's the king. The children were scared because a wild lion is terrifying. Right? They had right to fear. His speed, his power, his ferocity outmatches anything we could possibly do. It's untamed. And what does untamed mean? It means we can't control it. It means we can't control it. God's presence here in this narrative and in our own lives can initially be terrifying because he's beyond our control. He's beyond anything we can imagine. And when you start to think about that in context, you think, oh, wow, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. You mean I... I He's bigger than anything you could possibly think of. He's more powerful than anything you possibly think of. It's hard to wrap your head around, and then you start to be like, okay, well, wait a minute. If he's beyond my control, then how, how do I know that I can trust him? What do I do with that? And what that realization should drive us to is to have a healthy respect of him. But what happens is, is you meet them, and then he reveals himself to you. So initially, it's terrifying. You have that fear that drives you to your knees. Moses took off his sandals in the presence of the fiery bush. He ascended the mountain only with permission first because he was terrified of what he'd find. But God revealed himself and said, well, I'm not safe, but I'm good. 
What do we have here in this narrative? He says, fear not. Verse 10 and 11, this next, uh, next slide there, Josh says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, here's why you shouldn't fear. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. <laughs> I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. As God speaks and reveals his character, our natural reaction of fear should give way to reverent devotion and joy. The angel says, don't be scared. Don't freak out because Lord knows we'd be freaking out if this happened right now. Don't freak out. Don't be scared. Look, God is revealing his glory, not as a purging fire, but as a righteous liberator, setting free all people bound by sin, by depression, by anxiety, by fear. Fear not, for he is coming and he is for you and not against you. That's why you can be awed and irreverent uh, fear and respect for the powerful, terrifying presence of God, but the fact that He tells you who He is. He opens your eyes to who He is. Should bring joy. Joy isn't a thing earned by coping or by changing our circumstances. It's through an encounter with God and receiving that as good news. Joy is given through Jesus. The angels proclaimed that the fear could be dispelled because the greatest gift had been given. They brought good news. Joy isn't something you could obtain for yourself, but it is something that is given to you right now. They brought the good news of great joy. What do they bring? Good news of great joy that there would be for all people, for all people that the promised one had arrived. And God wanted to make sure we understood that when he said that. So he gives them three different titles. He said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now that's pretty clear, I think, but I want to clarify that. A Savior means someone who delivers into safety. All right, I, I know, I, I, I'm sure you appreciate me telling you what you already know. But one who delivers into safety. Now maybe you have that friend or family member who's always there. Maybe you got that one person that you could always trust on. You go to that party and you're in that really awkward situation with that really weird guy who's always there. Maybe he's your uncle or maybe he's just a friend. I don't know who he is. Maybe it's Leo, but he's in that room with you. And you're just like, man, this guy's really odd. I don't mean to pick on you, Dave, Leo. You're just right there. I'm sorry. All right, good. Okay. Uh, so, you know, who he, I don't know where he is, but you get cornered by that guy and you have that one person that comes along and says, hey, I need you here for a minute. Can, I, can you help me in the kitchen? And you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Somebody got me out of this corner with this person, right? Now, maybe you have that person in your life, and I hope you do, that's there to help you through the awkward situations. It's helped to get you through those hard times. It's there with you even when there's no parties going on. It's there with you when you're by yourself. I hope and pray that you have that person. I hope somebody in this church becomes that person for you if you don't have one already. But Jesus does more than simply help us through tough spots. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his presence with us right now begins to deconstruct the patterns, deconstruct the habits, the ingrained fears that we carry with us, mostly from birth, but that are reinforced through life, and reconstruct them into pillars that support a healthy, joyful life. He is one who delivers us into safety. He's also Christ's. Again, that is a title, not a last name, all right? It's not Jesus H. Christ. I don't know what the H stands for, but when people say that, but it's not that. Christ is not his last name, right? It's a title, meaning the Messiah, 
the anointed one, the chosen king, the one promised from the beginning who would come to crush the head of the serpent, one who would rule and reign with justice, with righteousness and peace, like no king before him and no one after. He is the very fulfillment of God's word. Jesus is the very reason we can trust God and believe he is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, one of my favorite verses says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Meaning that in Jesus, all the promises that God had said that the Redeemer was coming, that the world would be remade, that all the wrongs would be set to right, all those promises that God had set forth from the beginning to reverse this curse is found in Christ. They found their yes in Him. And He is the Lord, Christ the Lord, God Himself in human flesh, not just a good man, but the God-man, mighty to save, and yet humble enough to take on our mess. That's the one who came for us. That's the baby in a manger, the God of the universe, the Christ, the joy bringer. Now we receive joy as a response to an encounter with God. We're given joy freely by hearing the good news of Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. And we maintain that joy by following through on faith. Now, the shepherds, when they heard this news, what did they do? Did they stand there like, whoa, that was so cool. <laughs> you know, who put the mushrooms in the soup tonight, right? What's going on around here, right? What's going on with what, what in the world do we just experience? They didn't stay there, did they, right? What happened? Go ahead, Josh, ship the next one for me. That's a lot. Here we go. So 12 said, and this will be a sign for you. In other words, Here's God's presence. Here's good news. Receive the joy. It's coming. It's coming. But wait, even better, it's here now. And this will be a sign for you, something you go and see. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, not only was there one angel and God's presence shining around them, there's a whole bunch of angels, a whole multitude of a heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, what happened? And then they got over themselves and said, oh, wait a minute, they just said there's a sign. We got to go see if this is legit. Are we, I want to make sure I'm not crazy. And I'm sure they verify with each other, right? <laughs> I'm sure they said, hold on. Did you see what I just saw? Did you see that, that big bright light? I mean, this looks like a UFO encounter, right? I mean, if you just read through this and for take out the angel part, it's like just, this UFO just landed in the middle of a field at night and just we're going to tell, you know, they, they may have an out-of-body experience. I don't know what they I thought it happened, but, but God was revealing himself and they said, wait a minute, let's make sure we get this straight. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. Who knows if they ran or went fast? I don't know what they did. They, they went quick and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What was the sign? You'll find a baby lying in a manger. Bam, verified pretty quick. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I bet they did. The shepherds didn't wait. They didn't say, wow, that was crazy. Don't tell anybody because if you do, nobody will believe us. We will never sell a lamb again, right? It just will never be the same. Nobody will ever want to talk to us because we're the weird shepherds who had this real crazy encounter out in the wilderness, you know, one day. 
and said, no, let's go find out. If God said this is happening, let's follow through. Let's follow through on faith. They followed through on faith, trusting that God had said what he said, trusting and believing that it was true, and they found the joy that had been announced. Now, true joy isn't found in blind faith. It's not. Every week, I say it. I'll say it again today. Come skeptical. I hope you come to this experience every Sunday, and I hope you enter into your faith saying, are you sure? Does that really say that? Are you 100% certain? Come skeptical. Bring your skeptical friends who says, I don't know if I believe that Jesus stuff. Good. Bring them here. Because I don't proclaim, and we won't proclaim as a church, a faith that requires you to take a blind leap. We don't practice a faith that's all about a mystical experience and fuzzy feelings. We live out a faith that is tested and proven, a faith that is, met, that is placed on a rock that is unmovable, a cornerstone that is unshakable. We look back today at a sign, not only of a manger that the shepherds found, of a baby lying enclosed, but it's an empty tomb that Christ is risen again, that you can look at today, that you can travel there today. We look back at the evidences that he is who he says he is, that the nearly countless uh, witnesses that he, he came to when he resurrected, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he is who he says he is. It is not a blind faith, it is a tested and proven faith. Come skeptical. Find the truth. It's not running. It's not hiding. I'm not putting it anywhere. You can't find it. I don't keep it to myself. It's not locked up. You can go find it anywhere. Look it up. Dive in. It gets real. It gets real fast. It gets real, real fast. We live out of faith that's proven. Jesus is who he says he is, and that those who confess and believe in him, he places his spirits in our hearts as a guarantee, this gift of an immeasurable joy, a sign that he is with us in the midst of the hardship and that he is working out our salvation even right here, right now, this morning. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death, joy becomes a reasonable proposition, no matter what your situation. No matter what. Say, Pastor, how can you be joyful standing at the side of a grave? Because my God has rose again. How can you sit in the hospital with a cancer patient and still have joy in your heart? Because my God is a healing, rescuing God. How can you be sure that you know that you know that you know? Because I have a God whose promises have come to pass. I have a God who is faithful. I have a God I can trust and rest in day in and day out, no matter how I feel. He is there. It will always be. That's where our joy is at. Now, that doesn't mean we reject or repress our times of sorrow and grief. That's not healthy and it's not necessary. We can and should acknowledge that we have pain, that we have sorrow, that we have grief. We need to remember, though, that our present circumstances don't have the final say. 
I look in sorrow to those around uh, us in this community, you know, have friends and family that don't have a certain hope, that don't have a certain joy. They can't say for certain where their friends and family have gone when they die. And my heart breaks over that as it should break yours. Our mission is to see lives change now and for eternity and know that Jesus is faithful to make that come to pass, to know that we have that certain joy, that rot that we can place our hope and faith in. And we see others who are struggling and don't have that. It should move you as it moved Jesus, as it moved him to the cross. Don't turn away from the sorrow and the grief, the pain, but remember they don't have the final say. Joy is found in encountering the risen God by opening your eyes and your ears, by seeing him and hearing him speak to you right now. I don't mean when you get home. <laughs> it can happen there too. I don't mean, you know, in some, some meditational experience you may have. I mean really happening right here, right now. Joy is found in him right here, right now. As he speaks to you, pronouncing good news of life and freedom. And following through on that call by stepping out of faith toward him. That's where joy is found. True joy. For seekers this morning, for you skeptics, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. I've said it three or four times now. Our mission is to see people transformed by the power of the good news of Jesus, to see this community and the people like it look like heaven on earth. So if you've been battling fear, all of us do. If you've been battling anxiety, if you've been battling depression, we want to walk that road with you and walk toward the one who offers joy unspeakable. If you'd like to take the first step on that journey, we're going to offer that opportunity in just a minute. If you're not quite sure yet, if you continue to have questions and doubts, that is perfectly fine. Love it. Please do. Please do. Come and ply me with every question you can have. Find somebody else in this church and ask them every question. They're going to say, I don't know the answer. And that's okay. <laughs> right? We're going to go back to the Word and find it together. With a proven, tested faith. We want to be able to live and look like what following Jesus really looks like. Day in, day out. For believers, we have to reclaim the ground for his truth each day in our lives. Each day is a battle against ourselves and against spiritual forces that will be a test of your joy. Okay? Each and every day. Each day, we're going to need a fresh reminder that though we fight the battle today, we follow the one that's already won the war. Okay? We need that each and every single day. We reclaim the joy of Christmas by remembering the cross, remembering the reality and the power of his resurrection by standing firm in our faith. Got to have it every day. Ground yourself in that every day. But don't just reclaim that ground for yourself. Reclaim it to share it. Reclaim it to share it. Practicing faith requires us to do something with it. That's why our, our church, our body as a, as, a, as a group of believers here in this, in this place isn't just about Sundays. 
But you get here long enough, you get plugged in, you start to serve, you start to, to a- interact with the community, you start to do things uh, for Jesus and not just talk about Jesus. I'm not just a talk about Jesus type of guy. Jesus put hands and feet to what he said and did. We put hands and feet to it every, every day, or we should. So if you know at least one person, I think we all, all do know at least one person, who's struggling this season with fear, anxiety, or depression, go to them this week. Maybe you've known them for a long time. Maybe you've talked to them, and it doesn't seem to matter what you say, nothing gets better. Been there, done that. Maybe you just met them. Whatever the case, take a few minutes this week and speak joy into their lives again. Maybe you've done it a thousand times. Do it one more. Do it one more. Speak a word of encouragement. Invite them out for a meal or over to your house. Right? Involve them in your lives. Invite them to volunteer with you. Do something for somebody else together. Show the love of Jesus in a way that is real and powerful where they find him here and now. Speak and bring the joy of Jesus this week. That's our call as a church this week. That's our homework assignment, right? Let's do it. And let's pray.